Hey, this morning, if you have your Bible or if you have the Bible app on your phone, go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be in today. We're continuing our sermon series that we started last week. I've entitled Be the Church. We're looking at different passages in God's Word that involve the church, involve what it looks like to be a part of the church, what it looks like uh, to uh, run the church, what the church should be involved with, what it should be focused on. And so today, We're going to take a look at what the first church looked like in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 37. So follow along with me, if you will. It's going to be on the screen behind me, too, if you don't have your Bible or your app open. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to him, Repent and be baptized Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words, He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received His word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who were believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added uh, to their number that day those we're being saved. We're going to talk about this, specifically what this means for the church today and how we are to be a part of the church. Uh, Before we do that, though, would you just go uh, before the Lord in prayer and let's ask for his help with that. Pray with me, if you will. Father, we thank you for your word, that it's good, that it's perfect, that we can rely on it. And Jesus, as we talk about this, would you just help us? As we prayed earlier, we don't want to just be people who show up to church and who leave unaffected. But God, we truly want to grow in our relationship with you. Holy Spirit, would you conform us to your image? Would we no longer look like us, but we would look like you, Father? That's our prayer. Help us to do that. Soften our hearts today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, uh, have you ever asked kind of an existential question of yourself of who am I? Have you ever asked that question? I some, uh, when, I, when I asked that, you guys were like, well, that's kind of heavy for Sunday morning at 11 o'clock a.m. Okay, all right, well, let's do this today, Pastor. But uh, if you think about who you are, it kind of dictates the things that you do. If you view yourself as uh, an in-shape person, maybe you're going to the gym uh, several times a week. Obviously, I do not view myself as that. Exhibit A. Uh, maybe you view yourself as, you know what, I'm a pull yourself up from your bootstraps kind of guy. And uh, I'm just going to get her done. And you might say, all right, you know what? There's nothing too hard for me. Uh, I'm just going to get in there and I'm going to do it. Uh, Maybe you view yourself as you're a hunter. And you're saying, well, you know what? Every fall, uh, I'm going to be out hunting and I'm going to be out fishing. And I'm just, that's just what I do. Maybe you view yourself as your profession. And you're saying, well, this is is part of who I am. This is what I do. Maybe you're viewing yourself and you're saying, I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm an aunt, an uncle, a grandfather, a grandmother. How we view ourselves matters. It dictates what we do. Have you ever asked the question, who is the church? 
Because who we are matters because it dictates what we do. In other words, if you view the church and you're kind of just saying, well, I don't know, I guess it's something we do on Sunday mornings. I guess we could do this or we could go out to eat or uh, I could go hunting or fishing or I could go do you know, several other things. Um, but, you know, I guess this is good enough for today, right? If that's how you view church, if that's your level of commitment with church, what you expect out of church is going to change, and how you interact with church is also going to change. And so today I want to ask the question, how are we to be a part of the church? What does it look like to be a part of the church? What does it mean to be a part of the church? Whether you call that a formal membership, whether you call that, well, this is my church, this is my home church, this is just where I go every Sunday morning, whatever you call it, what does it look like to be a part of the church? As we read earlier in Acts chapter 2, this is kind of a famous chapter. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you probably know this. This is the day of Pentecost. This is a festival that the Jewish people would have been into Jerusalem for. This is after Jesus has died on the cross. He's resurrected three days later. He spent some time with his disciples. And now he's ascended back up to heaven. And so the disciples are together and they're kind of like, okay, what do we do now? Jesus had promised us that the Holy Spirit would come. We haven't really experienced that yet, so what are we doing? So they're together, and then the Holy Spirit comes, and He empowers them. And this is so cool, because all the people that would have been around, they would have been from different countries. They would have spoken different languages. And so when the Holy Spirit comes down, He empowers all of the different disciples here to speak different languages, and now everyone who's in town that is out from out of town they can now hear the gospel being spoken in their own native language. And at first, people think they're crazy. At first, earlier on in Acts chapter 2, we didn't, we didn't read this, but uh, Scripture is kind of funny sometimes, and sometimes I think we take it a little too seriously, and we kind of read things, and you're like, that's actually really, really funny. It's kind of a dry humor. That's kind of popular right now if you like watch sitcoms. Like they, have you ever noticed this kind of sidetrack? But uh, they're kind of like, the, you know, the, like in the 90s in a sitcom, everybody would laugh. You'd hear like, the audience laughing. That's out. I don't know where it went, but it's gone, right? That's kind of sometimes how we view Scripture. Earlier on in Acts chapter 2, uh, it's like uh, 9 in the morning they're doing this, and people are like, are they drunk or something? What are they, what, like, what are they saying? And Peter, he literally stands up and he goes, dude, it's 9 in the morning. We're not drunk. It's kind of funny. And they're like, they don't even understand what's going on. The crowd doesn't understand. And then Peter gets it across to him. He starts preaching to them. And he says, hey, listen, we've walked around with Jesus. It was God in the flesh. He taught us how to live. He lived a perfect life. And then he died a death that he didn't deserve. He died a horrific death for your sins, to pay the penalty for your sins so that you could be saved, so that you could have a relationship with God. Jesus did for that, did you, uh, that for you. And then, and this is the part that we read in uh, verses 37 through 40, he says, hey, listen, your job now is to respond to what God has done for you. Repent of your sins and now be baptized. And so they do. And it says that 3,000 people were added to the kingdom that day. 3,000 people. So at one point they had 12 disciples. At another point we find that there's 120 believers that have gathered. They've exploded. They've went from 120 to over 3,000 people now. I mean, that's crazy. They at least have 3,120. I mean, I'm no mathematician, but I mean, that's what the numbers would add up to, right? And so that's a huge explosion of one day. 
I want to ask you a question. We don't even have 120 people in the room today. Could you imagine if like 3,000 people just showed up? I mean, we wouldn't know what to do, right? We'd be like, well, I guess they're standing room only, right? I mean, we, let's go out to the gym and let's try and cram all these people in. Uh, those of you who were here for our trunk or treat, you remember that this last fall? We have over 500 people from the community come in. And it was kind of like that. You're like, well, I guess we're sending somebody out to go buy more candy, right? I mean, this is, this is a good problem to have. And in Acts chapter 2, they have a good problem here. They've got 3,000 people that are coming into the family of God. And then we get a glimpse of what the first church looks like and what those members of the first church did. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at this and say, okay, what are the concepts here that we see in Scripture? What did they do? And how can we do that as well? Because let's be honest, it's probably not practical for us to sell all of our houses and build a big subdivision together and, build, and live in a commune and drink all the same Kool-Aid together, right? I mean, that's probably not going to fit into our context. Like, that worked for them. Remember, they were all out of town. They're selling everything. And they're saying, hey, we're, gonna, we're just going to live together. That's great. That's probably not practical for us. But we can take those concepts and we can apply them to our church today. So that's what I want to do today. I want to start by uh, starting here in verse 42. This is a verse that we looked at last week as well, but I want to read it again to you. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That breaking of bread, that is a phrase that refers uh, more than likely to the Lord's Supper, communion, that they're doing this together. And so last week we talked about these four aspects of church, right? That's a place of worship. It's a place to serve. It's a place for teaching. And we talked about all these different aspects. Today, though, I want to focus on what it looks like for individuals. Not necessarily what does the church do, because we talked about that last week, but what are church members to do? What does it look like to be a part of the church? I want to point this out to you. It says, they devoted themselves. You know, uh, if you were to ask someone today about their church, you might hear someone say, and this wouldn't necessarily be wrong, uh, but you might hear someone say, well, uh, I go to that church down the road. Uh, Yeah, I, I go here. And the problem is, sometimes that mentality can kind of sink into us. Because I go to Lowe's for some of my home improvement projects. But then I go to Menards for some other things because they're cheaper and better on some other things, right? And I have Ryobi tools, and those are sold exclusively at the Home Depot. They would like to sponsor this. I would I, gladly accept a check. But they, uh, listen, well, we can have that mentality, right? And then what happens? Well, you know what? I bought a toilet from Lowe's the other day, and it was cracked. Can you believe that? I took it back, and they treated me horribly. I'm never going back there. And we can almost have this same experience, right, that we have with consumable goods with the church. That's not the picture that we get in Acts chapter 2. The picture that we get is they they were devoted. The church is not a consumable good. It's not a place you go to on Sunday mornings. It is a place that you are a part of. And if you're going to be a part of the church, that means being wholeheartedly committed. That you're all in. Scripture goes on and on and on talking about this to say, hey, listen, church is not just something we show up to and, you know, it, it's good for a while eh, until I don't like it and then I go down the street because there's something better down the street. Oh, you know what? And then I, then, you know what? The worship music just wasn't my thing, so I got, I'm going to go over to this other one. Um, I'm uh, friends with several pastors 
And there's something that happens. South Bend's a little bit too big to experience this. But there's something that happens in like uh, very small towns and not super small towns, but maybe around like 5,000. Plymouth would be a good example of this. Uh, But there's something that happens in those small towns where a group of people will be at a church until something else happens. And so the same group will go to the other church. Well, they, you know what, the pastor at that one, you know what, he's just not doing so hot anymore. There's this younger, funny guy. We're going to go visit this one. Until that time, he's okay. He, you know, I kind of got used to him. You know what? This other, this other church has a great kids program. So we're all going to go over there. And listen, that's not a good example of being wholeheartedly committed. Again, that's treating church like a consumable good. And hear me out here. Uh, I, I do not want to prop up necessarily our church specifically, Hillside Missionary Church. I'm not here to do that at all. I'm here to say, that's between you and God, which church you attend. There are several good churches in our community, but you need to go before the Lord and say, where would you have me, God? This isn't a preference-driven thing. This isn't a, well, this church had this really good thing, so I went to there for a while, and then I kind of like this, and then uh, I don't know about that one, and then, no, no, no. This is a prayerful decision where we say, God, what church would you have me be a part of? Ephesians 4, chapter, uh, Ephesians 4, 15 says this, Rather, speaking in truth, in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is head, head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when every part, look at that, every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Last week we talked about that the New Testament uh, often uses this analogy of a body for the body of Christ, for the church today. That as many body parts make up a whole human body, so many people make up the church and that we all have to be committed with that. The problem with this, though, is that sometimes, especially in our culture where we kind of have this consumer mindset of church, is that sometimes we have whole parts of our body here that are still attached, but they're just not committed. They're not working. Could you imagine having a left hand, but it didn't do anything? You're like, you know, you're going along and you're driving and you're like, what? you're trying to turn and you're trying to use your turn signal and it's just not working because it's not going anywhere. And that doesn't work. And sometimes the church today, you might be like, dude, this guy's goofy. What's going on with pastor today? Listen, I didn't get a whole lot of sleep last night. Asa was up. So I'm feeling a little energetic. Okay. I don't know how that works, but it's just going today. But listen, that's sometimes how the church works, right? I mean, you got a body part and it's just flopping around. You're like, what's going on here? And the church isn't able to do what the church should do because people aren't committed. By the way, part of being committed means saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to take my preferences, my preference-driven part of me, and I'm going to have that take a back seat. And I'm going to be committed relationally as well. 1 Corinthians 1.10 puts it like this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. I want to ask you a question. How well do you do with that? How well do you say, you know what, Um, I'm going to be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. And listen, that is not blindly following the church, right? Because let's be honest, I'm the pastor here, I'm the leader, but I'm a fallible person. I'm sinful. I can make mistakes. 
And so I have a leadership team, and they hold me accountable. I need you to hold me accountable to say, hey, listen, uh, what's going on in this aspect of church? What's going on in this aspect of the messages? I invite that. That's a good thing. But we have to do that, and look at this, a united way. Like 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, that there be no divisions among you. There's a way to go about that, right? And there's a way to say, hey, let me help you with this. The scripture would say that we correct each other gently, respectfully, that we're pushing people towards Jesus. And we're not saying, well, you know what? I can't believe that. Can you believe that he said that? I can't believe that. You know what? I'm just going to go up church up the road a little bit. And I'm just, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm going to church up the road. And I can't believe someone would say that to me. That offends me. And that's not living committed to church. That's living committed to what you want to have happen in church. But Jesus says, hey, listen, there is a united aspect that uh, the church members should have, that they should be uh, in unity. In fact, in John chapter 17, he prays this uh, long prayer. He's up in the upper room with his disciples just before he will be betrayed, just before he'll go on the cross. This is part of his prayer as he prays to the Father. He says, I am no longer in the world and they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus prays that as he and the Father are united. I mean, think of the level of unity that the Trinity has. The three persons of the Trinity have with each other. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's the ultimate level of unity here. Jesus says that level of unity that is the same that I want believers to have with each other. That there be no divisions among each other. And guess what? That means that there's going to be certain passages of Scripture that certain Christians say, I believe it says this. And other Christians say, I believe it says that. And Jesus says, I want you to be united. Figure out how to live with each other. You're going to have to do it for eternity. Good luck. Okay? Start right now. If the, the job starts right now of being United, And that's all about being committed to the church. That we're wholeheartedly committed here, as it says in Acts chapter 2, 42, that they devoted themselves to this. They're all in. They're committed. They're not preference-driven. They're not looking at church like a consumable good. I want to go back to Acts chapter 2 and point out two more things to you. Verse 44 says this, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 46 said, And day by day, attending to the temple together and the breaking of bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. I want you uh, to think of this and kind of get the picture of what's going on in Acts chapter 2. They're all together and they're spending literally every day together at some point. That they're not only going to the temple together, so there must be some type of service that they're going to, but they're also getting together in each other's homes. That they're inviting each other over and saying, hey, why don't you come over to dinner tonight? Why don't you come over to lunch? Why don't you come over for breakfast? Uh, let's, let's, let's do this thing together. Let's live life intentionally, relationally together. Being a part of a church not only means being wholeheartedly committed, but it also means being intentionally relational. That we are looking at each other and saying, hey, you know what? I care about you. I care about you so much that I am going to invest into your life. I'm going to ask you how life's going. I'm going to invite you over. I'm going to have uh, your whole family over. And I'm going to do more than just surface level conversations. Um, the word that scripture uses is fellowship. 
Uh, many of you uh, know the original Greek word to that is koinonia. Uh, fellowship is something that church, it's kind of one of those churchy words, right? Like uh, maybe if you haven't been in church, you're like, I don't know. They keep talking about fellowship. Does it have something to do with Lord of the Rings? I don't know. I don't get it. I don't really know what it is. I don't really know what it means. Growing up, I thought the fellowship hall was just a place that they served stale cookies from. Okay? I don't, like, it's just one of those churchy words we say over and over and over. But sometimes we don't really know what it means. Right? Like, sometimes we're saying fellowship. Okay, I guess that's like hanging out with each other, right? I've, I've heard of fellowship bowling clubs. Uh, I've heard of uh, fellowship clubs that just kind of meet together, and you're like, is this, is this, this softball team, is this, is this anything more than just some guys hanging out and shooting the breeze, right? Like, what's going on here? Fellowship involves intentionality. It involves saying, hey, I care about you so much that I want to build you up. Hebrews chapter 10 puts it like this. And let us consider consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Look at this picture that we get from Hebrews. It's saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to try and think about what does this look like? What does this look like to stir up one another to say, hey, how can I encourage you in your walk in faith? How can I encourage you in your relationship with Jesus? How can I encourage you to get more prayerful? How can I encourage you to be in Scripture more? And you do the same for me as Scripture says that iron sharpens iron so as one man sharpens another. That we can have this relationship together where we are uh, intentionally building each other up. And listen, it's it's not always easy. I have a newsflash for you you will be offended by someone in this room at some point. Possibly me, okay? I told you, I'm not a perfect person, all right? You are going to get offended by someone. Now, your job is to say, how will you react? Because it's really, really easy just to react to say, you know what, Uh, I'm done with church. Or I'm going to that church up the road. I'm going someplace else. I can just kind of slip in and slip out. And that's not about numbers. That's about a... Uh, a way that we do church, right? Because this church in Acts, I mean, it's at least 3,120 people, but it said that their numbers were added to day by day. I mean, we're looking at a mega church right now, but they're highly, highly relational. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Listen, you will be offended by people, But your job is to say, you know what, I'm not going to react by just saying, I'm out. I can't deal with this. I'm done here. Your job is to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as Jesus forgives you. I guarantee you, Jesus has more to forgive you than you have to forgive other people. You You can offer them forgiveness. And on the other side of things, if you're saying, man, I think I said that in man, I probably really offended. That probably really hurt them. Go to that person and say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry. I, 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 uh, I said that and I shouldn't have. That was wrong. And uh, I just, I need your forgiveness. Colossians 3.12 says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I want to ask you, as you think about different church people that you've met over your years, Are these the type of people that you've met? Beloved, compassionate, uh, kind-hearted, kind, humble, 
meek, patient. These are the type of church people that we should be. That as people join us and people come and, and as visitors, they should get this, uh, this aspect to say, hey, you know what? These people are different. These people are different than the world. They're compassionate. They're kind. They're humble. They're meek. They're patient. Colossians will go on to say, bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body. This is, as a church, these are the attitudes that we should have. And, at the end of Colossians, I love this little tack on that they have. And be thankful. Like it's a, it's almost like this side effect. You're like, well, that's kind of like out of out of out of the blue. Like, and be thankful. But have you ever met a thankful person? Chances are, a thankful person's also a kind person. Chances are, a thankful person's also a patient person. It's hard to be thankful for something, and then ring somebody out and be angry with them, right? Like these two things don't really go along together. But be thankful. Let me tell you, we have in our culture today, we have so much to be thankful for. We can freely meet as a church. And we don't have to worry about anybody coming in and shutting us down. We just don't. Not every church in the world has that luxury today. If you were a church in China, I could be arrested right now just for preaching the gospel uh, and not uh, supporting the politicians that rule over the government there. That's possible. Churches in China, the government will come in, they'll take the pastor, they'll arrest them right on a Sunday morning. They don't care. Here in America, we could be thankful, though, that we have that freedom. We could be thankful to say, hey, you know, we have this freedom. We can freely meet, and so I'm going to be thankful. I'm going to be thankful for whatever God has provided us with, with this congregation. I can be thankful here. And you know what? When you're thankful, chances are you're not thinking about, you know what? I don't really like this song. I'm not going to sing along to it. When you're thankful, chances are you're saying, you know what, I don't really like the flavor of this coffee. I can't believe somebody would make this flavor of coffee. It's awful. When you're thankful, chances are you're not saying, you know what, I didn't like the, the color of the carpet Pastor chose when we redid the sanctuary. Can you believe he chose charcoal gray? This is awful. This looks dirty all the time. Can you believe it? By the way, these are not real comments that I've gotten, okay? So like, please don't think that these are actual comments. These are just uh, examples I'm thinking of in my head, but uh, that could happen. You guys are awesome, and you guys would never do that. I know that. But these are the type of attitudes that we should have to say, hey, you know what? I'm thankful that we could just gather together, that we could worship Jesus together. So we're wholeheartedly committed. We're intentionally relational. One more aspect I want to point out to you in Acts chapter 2 this morning before we run out of time. It says they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Part of being a part of the church means that your finances are invested into the church. Think about what they went through. That they were saying, hey, you know what? Um, I'm going to sell my possessions, my belongings. Later on in Acts, we get examples of people who literally sold their land, sold their houses to go towards the church. This is difficult, but being part of a church means being financially invested. Now, before we go on any further, I just want to address the elephant in the room here. Nobody likes a pastor who talks about money, okay? I get that. Everyone's like, okay, here we go. Pastor talking about money again. 
oh, what is going on here? They probably need a new roof. They probably need a new parking lot. They probably need an addition on the building. Here we go. Let's start this campaign here. I just want to uh, maybe clear any weird mindsets out. We're not raising money for anything specifically right now. But Scripture talks about finances, and it talks about finances a lot because it's an important aspect of our lives. In fact, I would venture to say if your finances are out of whack in your life, chances are something else is out of whack too. Maybe you're saying, you know what, my finances are out of whack because me and my spouse, we're just not on the same page about this, and we just can't do this. Or maybe my finances are out of whack because, man, I, I messed up at a job, or, and, and you know what, I, I can't hold one down because I can't get there on time. Or maybe my finances are out of whack because I don't have any self-control, and I like to go through Taco Bell a lot, okay? That would take a lot of Taco Bell to get your finances out of whack. But listen, when your finances aren't in order, chances are there's something else out of order as well in your life that this can be a symptom of something going on that's deeper. And so Scripture over and over and over will bring up this aspect to say, hey, listen, your finances, you have to be a good steward of what God has given to you. The uh, Old Testament example that we would call the tithe, the Old Testament example we would get from that is 10% of your income would go towards the church. Today, I would point you to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you're asking the question, what does it look like to be financially invested? Give me a number. Give me uh, how much I need to give to the church. I would say this, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The point is this, Paul would say, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. What's a good number? That's in between you and God. You talk to God about that. You decide that prayerfully in your heart. But don't be a reluctant giver, as Scripture would say, right? In other words, if you're writing that check or you're punching the number in online or you're handing over the, the cash, you're putting it in the envelope and you're writing the number down and you're saying, man, oh, this just hurts. Like, I don't want to give the money, but I guess I have to because that's what I should do as a Christian. Listen, no, that's not the attitude that God says to have. God says, no, 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 freely give. And look at this, God's able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Here at Hillside, we try to be as transparent as humanly possible. If you ever want to see our numbers, please ask. We always publish them at our annual meeting that just passed. So if you missed that and you want to see the numbers, if you want to know how much I make, that's all open. We would love to share that with you because we believe we are doing our absolute best to be the best stewards with what God has given us that we possibly can be. Like Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 would say, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. That this is important that you honor God with your money. Acts chapter 20 would say, put it like this, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Being a part of church looks like this. Being wholeheartedly committed, being intentionally relational, and being financially invested. Those are the concepts that we get from Acts chapter 2 from the first church. So let me ask you a question as we close this morning. 
Where are you with these things? As you consider these things, as you pray about these things, what are we going to have for you? Are you committed? Is church just something you show up to? Is it like a consumable good for you? Or is it something that you're committed to? Are you intentionally relational? Or is it, well, I sneak in, I sit in the same spot every time, and I try to sneak out as quickly as possible so I don't have to talk to anyone. Listen, even introverts, your job is still to be intentionally relational with people. You might only have the capacity to be intentionally relational with a couple of people. That's okay. We all have different capacities in our life. Some of you are social butterflies. My wife is one of these people. I don't know how she has so many friends. I'm like, I can't even keep all track together. I have like two or three friends, okay? Like, that's just my capacity. I'm more introverted. That's okay. God made you like that, but your job either way is to be intentionally relational and financially invested into a church. So as you look and you consider these things, maybe you're saying, man, I think I need to get more involved. I need to be more committed. In your bulletin today, there are opportunities to help. It's a whole section that we have in our bulletin. If you're saying, man, I really want to help, but I don't know how, read those over. If there's something else that you're looking at the church and you're saying, who does that? How does that get done? Uh, do we need some help with that? Because that's really not going well, right? Please come and talk to me. My number, I'm going to put it on the screen. It's also on the back of your bulletin, though. If you would like to get involved, here's what I want you to do. Take out your phone. Yes, I'm inviting you to take your phone out right now. Shoot me a text. I'm not going to get back with you today, but I'll get back with you this week. We would love for you to get more involved. If you're saying, man, I would like to uh, go help out with this. I would like to be involved with this. We have so many opportunities. It is ridiculous. I look around here all the time and I say, I need a person for that. I need a person to do this. I need a person to do that. If I had five extra people, we could be doing this. We have so many things that we could be doing as a church. Maybe it looks like for you getting more involved. Maybe it looks like for you taking that next step to say, you know what? I'm really committing. I'm going to become a member. Because of that, we are offering a membership class this spring. If you have at all any interest in that, text me that you'd like to become a member or that you have interest in that. Text me right now so that you don't forget so that the, you know, down the road you might, you, you know, it gets to this week and the enemy might wear down on you. You go, oh, God really didn't want you doing that. God really doesn't want you. No, do it now if God's putting that on your heart. And membership is one of those things that you might say, oh, that's kind of scary. That's Am I like committed for life? Do I have to sign something in blood or something? Hey, listen, it's not weird. It's just you saying formally, hey, I want to be a part of you and you're a part of me and I'm all in. I'm committed. Maybe for you, it's, a, it's, it's looking like, man, I need to get a hold of my finances. And it's making a budget which would include regularly giving. By the way, if you're like, man, I don't do the whole check thing. I don't even have any physical money. That's okay. We have online giving as well. And you can actually set that to just be automatically withdrawn, just like a normal bill weekly or monthly, however you do your finances, you can get that set up so that you can automatically withdraw that. Maybe for you, you're saying, man, you know what, I've got those things, but uh, I really need to work on this relational aspect. I'm down, I'm down to earth here. I'm, I'm, I'm business-oriented. I'm a task-oriented. I want to do one thing after another after another. And man, I just don't make enough room for people in my life. And I really need to be intentionally relational. Maybe as simple as inviting someone over for dinner to your house 
Or maybe you're saying, man, I'm a horrible cook, so would you go to Taco Bell for, with lunch? I don't know why I'm obsessed with Taco Bell today, but you're saying, hey, would you go to Taco Bell with me? Go grab lunch with me after church, and let's just talk, and how can I learn more about you? How can I help you? How can, how can we help each other in our walk with Christ? Maybe for you, you're saying, man, I need kind of a next level of an intentional relationships. We call these small groups. I have good news for you. We're starting a new study in Tammy and I's small group. We'd love for you to be part of it. If you want to be a part of that, just text me. And we meet online uh, most times, and we meet in person every once in a while. So it's really easy. Uh, Tammy and I have kids. It's difficult. If you got kids, I get that. That's why we meet after the kids go to bed. We uh, eight eight thirty is our time uh, every other Tuesday, and we get together and we just we just chat about life. And we talk about our relationship with Jesus. What's that next step for you? What's that look like? What's it look like to be more wholeheartedly committed? What's it look like to be more intentionally relational? What's it look like to be more financially invested into Hillside? What's that look like for you? Because as we talked about last week, remember, you need the church, and the church needs you. It's part of the way God set up living our lives as Christians. It's being a part of a church. And it's being all in. What's it look like for you to be all in? I can't tell you what that looks like in your life. You have to pray about that. Here's my challenge for you. Spend some time in prayer. Spend some time in prayer, maybe later today or this week sometime. And just say, God, what would you have for me? What would you have for me here? Because Jesus didn't die for us just to show up to church and treat it like some consumable good. Jesus didn't die on the cross for us and set this system up for us so we could just church hop from church to church to church to church to church or to treat church like it's just something else that we could be doing on a Sunday. The conversation in your house on Saturday night should not look like, are we going to church tomorrow? But what are we doing at church tomorrow? Because you need the church and the church needs you. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much for everything you've done for us, and we thank you for the system that you've given us, that you haven't left us alone. You've given us a community of people to surround ourselves with, to help each other, to say, hey, I'm here for you when you need it. I'm here for you to help you with your relationship with Jesus. I'm here for you. I'm here to use my gifts to serve. I'm all in. Jesus, we thank you for this picture that we get in your word in Acts chapter 2 that we get of the first church being all in. God, would you lay on our hearts? Would you convict us? Would you lay on our hearts what it looks like for us to be all in? Because we recognize when we are, we're not just helping out the church locally, we're helping out the kingdom of God. That we're helping out this church be the church that you created it to be so that it can go out and build up your kingdom, so that it can go out and invite people to know you, Jesus, which we recognize is the most important thing that anyone could ever do with their life is to get to know you. Jesus, help us to be all in. And we trust that when we do, our relationship with you will grow. And that we'll be better because of it. Jesus, we loved you because you first loved us. Help us to be committed. Help us to be all in. It's in your precious, life-changing name we pray. Amen. Hey, church, I love you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.